but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he'd finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Thanks, Nicole. You don't look a day over 49. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my eyes are struggling too. <laughs> oh, yes, well, um, we definitely should pray before we come to God's word. Uh, and uh, yes, you'll find that outline, not just for the young people, but uh, that'll tell you how long I'm going for and show you where we're up to and you'll be able to follow along uh, making use of that. Let's ask God's help, shall we? Our Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to be your people, to be even alive right now. And it's hot. Uh, and, but, we, but you've gathered us to teach us, so would you help us? Uh, to be able to overcome our discomfort, uh, to hear you, uh, to not be distracted. And Father, that indeed you would show us great things that we would delight in because you've gathered us in your name. And we ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, what's in a name? What's in a name? Everything is in a name, isn't it? Everything really. Our name is our identity. Our name is our reputation. Our name is one of the most significant things that we each possess. Our character is kind of wrapped up in our name. Our behavior is. Our relationships are wrapped up in our name. Our history's there. And likewise, our future are all anchored in our name and living forward on that name. Our names are such a big deal. And therefore, being such a big deal, to change a name will only happen because of a bigger deal that's come our way, something to live for that well, is worth living for, a new future, perhaps, a new hope, a new potential that breaks away from the old and the past and heads us off in a whole new direction. I finished recently a, a book of the miraculous escape of two Jewish men from Auschwitz during World War II. And having made their escape from certain death, well, their change of name was essential, essential to break from the past and now to live for the future. Now, much less dramatic than that, but certainly no less significant, is what happens in a marriage. Old names are left behind and a new name is adopted and announced and the couple leaves to pursue the personal and public future of that name together. Well, we all applaud them doing so. And of course, likewise, when a baby is born. When a baby is born, no longer will we just call it bump or the baby. 
it now gets a name, personal name, owned and assigned and published, and that child, again, will go forth into the private and public future awaiting one who possesses that name. Our names are so significant. And this is also true for us, so too for you and me when we take on the name of Jesus and become a Christian. In, in that moment, something definitive about us has changed. We've taken on this name and it means a whole bunch of things for both who we once were and who we now are and who we're going to be, both personally, yes, and publicly also. Not least because we have a brand new future to live for amongst a people group who likewise carry that name, a new hope, a new responsibility to be faithful to that name in the future. And it's life-defining significance that each of us experience who bear the name of Jesus, well, that's what we witness occurring right here for the very first time in the Bible. Chapter 17 of this all-important book of beginnings is where all that finds its beginning, and everything we understand about this starts here and comes from there throughout the Bible to come. And so as we look at this, well, we're entering back into the account of Abram a full 13 years after chapter 16. You can see it there in your Bibles before you. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael, then when he's 99 years old. You know, straight away, 13 years like that, they're gone. We're now in the next moment. And Abram's now 99 years old. Which, which means it's been a full 24 years since God made that promise to him back in Haran. 24 years. That is a long time to wait. Just tick up 24 years in your head if you've lived that long. That's a long time to wait for a promise to be fulfilled, isn't it? That's a real test of faith. And indeed, it's a test that Abram, as we've seen and have been reading, he's already regularly failed, as we've seen him take matters into his own hands repeatedly, whenever he felt like God needed a little bit of a help, just to you know, get things going. Indeed, it's been 13 years now since his last major mistake in this regard. And now at age 99, well, Abram's strength is gone, and Sarai at age 90, well, she is well beyond childbearing age. They've waited, they've hoped, They've manipulated as far as their strength can reach to try and bring it about, and they've at last reached the end of themselves. There's nothing more that they can do. And it's into this moment of utter hopelessness that God Almighty brings new hope and a new beginning as he brings new names to mark this new beginning and reveals the next detailed instalment of his promise to them. So verse 1 before us. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And hey, that's great. But didn't God already make you know, a promise, a covenant 14 years ago? We looked at it last week in chapter 15, didn't we? Yes, he did. And yet the details on that occasion, if you go back and look at it, well, they were focused on the land, very specifically on the boundaries of the land and what that bit would be and so forth. This time, the details are focused right in now on Abram's offspring. Remember the whole stars in the sky and dust on the ground promise? Well, here it is about to begin. 
And unlike with the whole land covenant that was supposed to happen after Abram died for his descendants, it would happen then, well, this time with the children's promise, Abram's going to need to be very much alive in order to participate. Abram understood this. He already knew this, which is, well, why it previously led to that big problem with Sarai and the whole Hagar mistake as they tried to force the issue. And we looked at that last week, how that went. But God's outworking of his promise, as he works out his promises and his timing, that's on his terms, and it's not going to be on Abram's terms. And perhaps that's why he begins by saying here, I am God Almighty. I am. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. And yet Abram knows he hasn't. He hasn't been faithful in this. And so he wisely begins this exchange silent and face down before the Lord. Good call, Abram. Good one, mate. You're right on. Because, you know, it's always wise. It is always wise to humble ourselves before the Lord. Always wise to humble ourselves before the Lord. It was Abram's pride that had got him into difficulty 13 years earlier. And so humility and silence... Well, it's definitely a good idea now. But do you notice that God's not here to rouse on Abram? Rather, as the God who speaks life into death and hope into despair, he's come to deliver something else. He's come to deliver for as fors, for as for explanations, which, well, each of them will bring some kind of change and unpack some kind of renewed hope for Abram and for Sarai, and for everyone else who's associated with them, for as fors that create a new beginning. And so you'll see it's as for me, verse 4, as for you, verse 9, as for Sarai, verse 15, and as for Ishmael, verse 20. And each of them is going to supply ground-breaking hope. And that's what we're going to check out together. So let's dig into it. Let's look at it. The first of them, the first as for, in verse 4, is all about God. It's all about God himself. Sorry, Kathy, two screens on. Back one. There it is. Thank you. The first as for, in verse 4, it's all about God himself. As for me, as for me, this will be my covenant with you. And he goes on to outline the enormous list of all that he will do to bring about the fulfilment of his promises to Abram and Abram's descendants. And so far reaching is the scope of this new life in covenant with God that Abram's name must be changed to reflect all that God is now planning to do through him. So from the name Abram, which meant exalted father, God says, not that anymore. No, no, no. I'm going to rename you because of what's about to happen, what I'm going to do to be the father of many nations. And perhaps that's no surprise to us, and maybe not to Abram, because, you know, again, we heard 24 years back in chapter 12, verse 3, that all the nations would be blessed through Abram. So the nation's connections, it, it makes some kind of sense. However, the significance here is that this covenant with Abraham will extend to his descendants beyond him, not just to him. And this is a huge development. It's a huge development. 
So think about it this way. God's not just going to be Abraham's personal God that his descendants down the track are going to hear about as a distant part of their family history. You know that old grandma's keepsake on the shelf. We've just inherited that thing. No, it's not going to be something of the past that they just try and remember. But instead, each of them is going to have their own intimate personal relationship with God just as Abraham himself enjoyed. That's what God's saying here. And this is the difference of information and intimacy. It's the difference of just having information and having an intimate relationship. So if you wanted to, you can all find out by information that I have a wife called Karen, and yet only I have intimate relationship with her. And that's right and normal and appropriate. It just applies to that one relationship. But now God's saying, no, it's going to be bigger and beyond that. Not my marriage, but his relationship with his people. So Abram's descendants going forward, every single one of them will now have access both to a personal and a public intimate relationship with God. A relationship that goes beyond just mere information. And this is groundbreaking stuff that now transforms the future for every one of them. And yet it can't be taken for granted, can it? It's going to need to be agreed to by each person involved, agreed to privately and publicly by each of those persons. And that's what the second as for here unpacks for us in verse 9. So as for me, verse 4, as for you, verse 9, as for Abraham, as for Abraham, he must undergo circumcision to confirm his agreement. Back one, Kathy, sorry. And again, back another. There we go. As for Abraham, he must undergo circumcision to confirm his agreement with God's covenant. And not just him. Not just him. That moment of personal agreement that Abraham himself has to do will need to be personally and publicly restated and reenacted in every generation that followed. Any male of Abraham's descendants and associates who doesn't agree with the covenant being personally cut into his flesh is publicly choosing to be cut off from the covenant entirely. So cut in or cut off. It's a choice moment. It's a very clear I disagree or I agree kind of moment that then plays out personally and publicly in a ceremony, a moment that is intensely personal and, well, very public for everyone who followed Abraham. And just like in a Christian marriage where a ring is assigned to a husband and a wife personally and to all others publicly that these two people are married, well, so also there was a sign and a ceremony that marked out the descendants of Abraham as those who trusted in the covenant promises of God Almighty. So you want to trust those things? Well, this is how you enter into that. There's a sign, there's a ceremony that goes with it. And on this occasion, it's a sign that is cut into their flesh, reminding them all that the promises of God well, would be fulfilled not by their strength and their flesh, but rather would be by God's strength alone. Okay, two as fours down, two to go. 
So the third as for, the third as for in verse 15 now relates to Sarai, who's renamed Sarah, which means princess. Isn't that lovely? Princess Sarah, the mother of kings of nations, it will be with Princess Sarah that Abraham, the father of nations, will conceive the promised son Isaac, who will be the father of kings. And not just kings like Saul and David and Solomon and such, and that will be true, but more importantly, Sarah is to be the revered mother who will bring forth from her descendants the promised child Jesus, the king of all kings. And so significant is God's plans for Sarah that she's the only woman in the Bible whom God, well, who, God changes her name to mark this. Also the only one whose age at every point is recorded. She is so significant in God's plans, instrumental to God at age 90. And Abraham needs to recognise her as such and he needs to give her the esteem that is her due. Because remember, God's talking to Abraham here. Sarah's not in this conversation. It's to Abraham's instruction to him. And does he? No, he does not. You noticed it was read out, didn't you? Verse 17, look at it in front of you there. Abraham hears it and he falls on his face with incredulous laughter and says to himself, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And it is a laughable idea, isn't it? Laughable. Who gives birth at age 90? The thought of it. It's incredulous. And so in verse 18, we again see Abraham offer God an easier solution. I got an idea. You know, here's a common sense approach, God. Let's go for that, shall we? One that's going to bypass all the difficulties. One that makes perfect human sense. One that wouldn't require all this messy, crazy, uncomfortable circumcision business and certainly would not require reproduction at an advanced age. Abraham thinks it all up and decides to give it a whirl. So he says to God, if only Ishmael, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing." Ah, yeah, and there it is. There it is. It's the good old, God, if only you saw it from my perspective argument. The, God, if you only understood what you're asking of me, then you really wouldn't ask it. I'll tell you what, I've got an idea. How about we do it my way and not your way? Have you ever tried one of those conversations with God? Ever thought up a better plan? Hmm. Yeah, I've done a few of those too. And just like it goes for you and just like it goes for me, God will have none of Abraham's alternate plan. Verse 19, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear your son and you will call him Isaac and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And that last bit doesn't belong there. My apologies. I will establish... The covenant after him. You see, God's promise is God's promise. And it's God who is faithful to his promise. Therefore, Abraham, not your plan, my plan, you'll be circumcised, you'll reproduce with Sarah, you'll bear the child, and you who laugh will call him laughter. For that's what the Hebrew word Isaac means. Laughter. 
but not a mocking laughter, not a laughing stock, no, but the laughter of an incredulous miracle. For it will be Isaac's descendants who will have an incredulous personal relationship with God, a covenant relationship with God that could happen by no other means. And through them, all the nations will be blessed. A miracle that brings laughter and joy as nothing else can. And meanwhile, did you notice that that God doesn't ignore Abraham's petition? Our God is the God who gives us opportunity to intercede for the weak. He gives us opportunity to care for the weak and for the dispossessed, for those who are in trauma, whom he will richly bless if indeed we will ask, if only we would ask. And so we find that now Abraham's asked and therefore the last as for we have here in verse 20, well, that relates to Ishmael. It's all about what God's going to do for him and also to distinguish him from the promised child, Isaac. So Abraham asks for blessing for Ishmael and God keeps his promises to bless those who Abraham will bless. Chapter 12, back there again, God keeps his promises and he's going to supply more than Abraham asked or imagined. Ishmael will receive the same as Abraham's own blessing of being greatly increased in numbers, of becoming a great nation. And even the whole 12 rulers coming from him, a clear echo, a forward echo, if you like, of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's an amazing blessing. And yet, blessed though he will be, notice that God who named Ishmael in the first place, in chapter 16, when he, before he was born, doesn't change Ishmael's name now doesn't change his name. Instead, Ishmael is set apart from the newly named Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, through whom the covenant promises would progress. Because he who is God Almighty, well, he keeps his promises, but they're his promises to keep by his method in his timing and not ours to redirect as we might wish. And with that, the incident concludes with an all-important timestamp there, verse 21. By this time next year, Sarah will have given birth to Isaac. Timestamp. And then that all-important next year? Well, that's actually going to become the focus of the next four full chapters of Genesis. Check out the rest of the book. There is no other section of Genesis that focuses four chapters on just one year. This next year is very, very important in terms of the challenge of what's going to happen to those promises. We'll look at that in the coming weeks. But for now, everything turns on what Abraham does next. What's he going to do next? Does he stay on the ground laughing? That would have been tempting. Does he keep it to himself? so he can save everyone the trouble. Let's just pretend that never happened, shall we? Does he go rushing to Sarah's tent to make good on the things that need to happen for her to conceive? No. None of these things, all of them might have been tempting and more. But 99-year-old Abraham, he takes God at his word and arises to walk, oh, back there in verse 2, verse 1, 
walk faithfully and blamelessly before the Lord. He arises to walk faithlessly and blamelessly and with sharpened knife in hand, Abraham gives glory to God. Verse 23, on that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household bought with his money, every male in his household and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Now that's important because it answers the question for us, doesn't it? Did Abraham believe the promises of God? Yes, you can see by what he did. Did he agree that he wanted them to apply to him? Yes. Did he agree that he wanted to apply to all those around him that God said it could apply to? Yes, and we can tell because he humbled himself and obeyed, even at the cost of cutting off his own flesh and blood. It's astounding, isn't it? Absolutely astounding. And it's astounding trust in God to keep his promises. It's astounding on Abraham's part, but it's also astounding from everyone else connected to him. All of them, all of them now are living on the promises of God. All of them are trusting that God will keep this promise that he's made to Abraham even when every human obstacle imaginable stood in the way. And so astounding is this event. It's picked up in the New Testament at length where the Apostle Paul's going to riff on it in Romans chapter 4 at great length. Now, he's been going at it since verse 1, but I'm going to bring us in at verse 18. Amazing as we think about this because of how it applies to us. So against all hope, what can we learn from this? Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's own womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Credited to him as righteousness. What about you? And what about me? What about us and righteousness? That's what he believed. Do you believe? Do you believe that God will keep his promises? Would you stake your name on it, your name, your reputation, your public reputation on that? Would you, would you take up your cross and commit your flesh to it? Would you want to have his promises applied not just to you, but to everyone associated with you? This becomes public. Well, that's a risk, isn't it? That's a serious risk. We're describing here. That's such a big deal. There's a cost, a cost to following God, a cost to trusting in his promises. And it's personal. 
And it's public. A personal cost, a public cost, because it calls for a whole new way of living as we live out this name that he's given us, trusting in God for our future, even when every human obstacle imaginable stands in the way. No wonder so few want to do it. And, and yet as costly, as costly and as otherworldly as it is to do so, well, when we trust God's promises as Abraham did, we find something amazing happens. And this is the Apostle Paul again, just continuing from where we stopped. Still in Romans chapter 4. He continues, The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. Friends, this is the miraculous and wonderful work of God Almighty, that he would seek out faulty people like Abraham and faulty people like us. And of his own initiative, by his own choice, he gives us his promises and he gives us peace with himself. No matter how old or how young, no matter near or how far, no matter how messed up or foolish or undeserving we are or, or think ourselves to be, Gives it to us, makes us righteous. And not, not just, it doesn't just stop there, because Paul continues on into the next chapter. Therefore, because all those things are true, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. That's the kind of life change that comes from taking the name of Jesus. Not only are we made righteous, it's a total life change that goes with it, both in what we experience and, and, and what we live for, what we boast in. Like Abraham, followers of Jesus, we can't boast in our flesh. He was as good as dead. Are we any better? We can't boast in the things that we do or might do, or could do, because we can achieve nothing by our human strength that's going to gain God's attention and bring about righteousness. Rather, not boasting in ourselves, we boast in him. We boast in him and what he has done for us. And I say done because this is where we're different from Abraham. Because unlike Abraham and the people with Abraham, with him, Remember, they were looking forward to the fulfilment of that promise. They were looking forward to the moment when God would keep his promises and they lived forward, looking forward to that moment. But that's not us because those things have already happened. See, we Christians today, we don't look forward to when it's going to happen. We look backwards to that time when those promises were fulfilled. We're not looking to see them happen. No, we're looking back to the fact that they've happened and we now live personally and publicly from that moment that's now finished in Jesus, complete and made complete in him. Because that's what's going to happen. See, remember, we're at the start of the Bible here. 
And if we, we read on, we're going to see that God will keep his promises. He's faithful to it. Not only will Isaac be born the next year, check it out, a couple of chapters time. Ishmael will be blessed, check out, chapter 25. And God himself will remain faithful to his promise of being the God of Isaac's line beyond that generation, beyond that generation. And while, like Abraham, all his descendants are going to be full of errors and mistakes because of their hard hearts, and they will. And even though they might have been circumcised, well, that was a choice that day. What's going to, what are they going to choose the next day? What are they going to choose when they get older? They can always choose to walk away. And so many of them did. We have the incredible record of all that. They could choose. They did choose to walk away, to be unfaithful. But God, we have the record in the Bible here of God remaining faithful to his promise until the times had reached their fulfillment. And when they did, his son Jesus was cut off for us all. That's how they got fulfilled. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of these things, not just of the the, the miraculous promised child through whom the whole world will be blessed as we laugh in joy and wonder at the miraculous arrival of his birth. Yes, he fulfills that. He is the fulfillment of that. But well, that blessing, though, comes to us only to us and to all nations because of how we trust in him who was then cut off from Abraham's descendants. Not just cut off from them, but cut off by them as he was. And in this way, Jesus is also the fulfilment of the covenant of circumcision. Have you noticed that? It was there, wasn't it? Just think on it. What do we know about Jesus? Think on this. Who was cut off from Abraham's descendants so that we could be included in the family of God? Well, Jesus was. Whose flesh was pierced and blood And whose blood was shed to pay for our entry? It was was Jesus. Whose flesh was the new covenant of God's faithfulness cut into? Not ours. Jesus. And who was cut off from his people so that those who are the offspring of Abraham and those who are foreigners by birth can both now become the people of God. Not just genetic descendants of Abraham, but now all people who have the faith of Abraham, who believe the same way by faith in his promises. Who was cut off to make that possible? It's it's Jesus. Friends, the the faith and obedience and willing self-sacrifice of Abraham to confirm God's covenant. It's, it's marvellous. It's amazing. It's radical. It's kind of crazy. And it shows us what real trust looks like in action. We've got a great example of this for us laid out here. However, it is merely the sparkle of a sequin of light reflecting the intense, all-powerful light of Jesus who gave his whole self to be cut off for us. Jesus, he is God's promised provision so that he can be our God and so that we can be his people forever. People of all nations can be his. 
wearing his name upon us, wearing his name, and living by the pathway that that name lays out before us, that future that that name supplies, privately choosing him and publicly living for him so that we, and yes, all around us, too, might be included and blessed by the promises of God in Jesus. So what's in a name? What's in a name? Well, it all depends on the name, doesn't it, really? Depends on the name. And when the name is Jesus, and his name is upon us, and we get to live new lives of faith in him, well, in his name, we have nothing to lose, and we have everything to live for. And that's why we praise God for Jesus. Amen. We've just heard the very voice of the living God through the proclamation of the word. And so it's right that we take a moment to pause and reflect and to respond to what he has said So I'm going to give you a moment, about a minute now, just to sit quietly in silence. We don't do that very much in our society, but sit and think, reflect. Maybe you might want to pray to God or write down a question or write down something that stood out to you. And then after about a minute or so, the band will hop up and lead us in our final song where we can rejoice to our great God. So about a minute.